Get ready for Crack the Customer Code, your audio guidebook for creating incredible customer journeys. Ginny, do you know what I think we should do? I have some ideas, but you tell me. <laughs> I just opened up a can of worms. Yes, you did. I, <laughs> I'm thinking about, you know, thinking globally and acting locally. Well, that's important. That's very important in everything we do. Exactly. But, you know, we don't usually talk about that idea in customer experience. And today, with our guests, one of the things we talk about is this idea of, you know, having a mission, having uh, companies adding social value. We know this is a big thing nowadays, and it's uh, becoming more important uh, every year. But the idea that, uh, what, how do you do that when you're small? How do you do that when you're mid-size? What does that look like, right? What does it look like to make a dent in the universe, as uh, Steve Jobs said, but when the universe is a lot tinier if you're not Apple? Right, right. Yeah, how can, how can you make a difference if you don't have that global influence, but you still want to change the world? And convey to your customers that you have a mission, that, you have a, that you're adding social value, which we know mm-hmm. is very important. It's important across the board, but per- particularly on a generational level. Um, so how do you, do, how are you able to do something that is going to be significant for your mission and, you know, convey that significance mm-hmm. to your customers? Well, and we have, we globally connected with this guest, didn't we? We did. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so uh, we can't wait to share this with you. Our guest today is Stephen Van Belligham, and he has just a lot of insights about what it means to serve customers today and make sure that we are keeping up with the times that we're living in. So let me introduce you to Stephen. Stephen believes in a bright future where companies play the long-term game with their customers. His passion is spreading ideas about the future of customer experience. Stephen believes in the combination of common sense, new technologies, and empathic human touch, playing the long-term game and taking your social responsibility to win the hearts and business of customers over and over again. Welcome, Stephen. We're thrilled to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Jeannie. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very excited that I can be part of your podcast. (laughs) Well, Stephen, it's so great to have you here. I'm excited because we're going to talk about your new book, which I am literally looking at. It's sitting here on my desk, The Offer You Can't Refuse. Uh, and it's about the future of CX, and gosh knows that future has been uncertain uh, lately. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, g- give us give us the uh, elevator pitch for the book and your ideas for the future of CX. All right, with pleasure. So it's it's you know I, I try to build a model that helps companies to create an offer customers can't refuse. That's that's the hypothesis of the book. And then, you know, I start with the, with the basics, basically saying that the minimum demand in the past was always having a good product at a good price with good service. That's what people expect. That's obvious. What we see now in the past, let's say, 10 years, but we had a, a strong acceleration in the last year, is that there has become some sort of a zero tolerance towards digital inconvenience. So what you see is that digital convenience today is, has, has become a commodity. You need to have it. And if you don't, I mean, it's a, it's a negative differentiator these days. So digital convenience is together with having a good product and good service and good price, part of the new minimum, in my opinion. So if you want to differentiate um, towards customers with your customer relation, I like to work with two dimensions that can really help you to make a difference. Um, the first one is what I call a partner in life strategy, where you try to offer 
services that go beyond your product or your core service, where you try to understand the human behind the customer and that you understand that every human has like a movie of their, of their life in their head. You, you know, it thinks that you hope that will happen or things that you hope will not happen, dreams that you have, fears, ambitions. And the better you understand, you know, the, the human behind the customer, the better you can become a partner in, in life. And, and that's one layer to differentiate yourself. A second one that is growing in importance is having a positive impact on society. Uh, in my book, I called it Change the World. Um, today, when I work with, with clients, I talk about changing your world because, you know, sometimes smaller organizations are like, okay, Stephen, changing the world, that's fantastic <laughs> if you're Apple and uh, Tesla, but we're a small grocery store here in, uh, in, in Europe. Uh, we cannot do that. That's true, but you can change your world. You can even do this as an individual. And if you look at the challenges that the world is facing, I mean, look at racism, discrimination, healthcare, the, the economy, um, the uh, climate change. There's so many challenges on our plate. And you see that more and more consumers, they basically look at organizations to make a difference and to try to make the world a little bit better and don't wait until a government is forcing them to do so. So there's an opportunity to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And those four layers, uh, good product, service, price, digital convenience, partner in life, and changing your world, those are for me the four components that if you invest in those, that eventually you can create an offer customers can't refuse. Yeah, I love how you phrase that partner for life because one of the things that I see a lot is that we talk about things, we talk about tools in customer experience, which are really necessary, but things like personas, things like segmentation, that's super important to understand customers and to also address their needs. But at the same time, sometimes we forget that they're not like marching through our customer journey because that's what they want to do with their lives. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're actually just living their lives. And so I think it's so important to really look beyond what are these interaction points and, and what is this customer really all about? So I love that phrasing specifically. And then the the digital convenience part, I mean, this has a huge spotlight on it right now, right? Because mm -hmm. we yep. just came through 2020, which I think might have been the most transformational year for everything, for everyone, anywhere. <laughs> it was just <laughs> like, it was just complete change across the board. And you specifically talk about the big digital jump of 2020. So yeah. what are the implications of that? What do you mean by that? Just dive into that a little bit, if you will. Well, you know, I think 2020 has been the, the biggest digital training course in human history. Mm -hmm. And if, if I, I think we went through different phases in the beginning, let, let's take March 2020. In the beginning, we used digital to compensate for physical losses. You know, we, we went to virtual meetings, we, we started to buy more stuff online because we didn't have the, the real world um, possibility anymore. But very quickly, a lot of people really got used to it and, and really liked the benefits. And then it became, became clear that, you know, that we weren't going steep up in terms of digital usage to go steep down again once the pandemic is over. I, 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 I have the feeling that we are climbing the table mountain uh, you, you go steep up and now we reach a new level. We're not climbing the, the Matterhorn from the Swiss Alps, <laughs> steep up and steep down. No, it's more the table mountain. And now many organizations are developing new business models um, where the mindset is completely different than a year ago. The mindset now is much more 
that we bring services to the customer. Um, in the past, we as customers, we had to go to the service or to the product to get it. Even online, huh? in the beginning, when we wanted to buy something on Amazon, we needed to go to, to Amazon.com. We went to them. What you see now is that business models are being built around the customer. Like, like take the success of Peloton bikes. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at Peloton, <laughs> when, when you look at it, it looks, at first sight, it's like an expensive home training device with a built-in screen. But if you look at the, if you make the analysis of it, it is, it is brilliant. It's a virtual experience, but it's also a live experience. You have your live coaches, but it's also a social experience because you have the leaderboard and you can see how other people are working out. So you're in the comfort of your home. The service is being brought to you, but you still have live entertainment and you have a social interaction with others. If you compare that with the old model of going to a gym to work out, that, that going to the gym sounds like a social activity, but let's be honest, eh, Jeannie and, and Adam, if you go to the gym, you're just in the same room with other people, but you don't talk to them, you don't look at them, you're just focused on your own Netflix show that you want to watch <laughs> with your own AirPods in. There's zero social contact. So the model of Peloton is just more engaging, more social than the old model, but the service comes to you. Even if you compare TikTok versus Google, uh, when you go to Google, you have to type in the question and then eventually you get your information. If you go to TikTok, the information is brought instantly to you and based on your behavior, they're fine tuning it. So many new models are now being created where the service is built around the customer and the customer isn't you know, the customer doesn't necessarily has to go anywhere anymore, both physically or virtually, to have access to a service. And I think that I think that's a major turnaround that's happening right now. It's a great point. It's a great point. And I think I love the uh, the description of Peloton because I think that is something that basically they looked at what's the best part of this and what's the best part of that and let's put them together, right? Because right. a lot, you know, you can invite a personal trainer into your room who will yell at you on the bike, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, it's about more than that. So that's, yeah, it's, it's really cool to think about what could be next there too, right? Mm -hmm. Like how are we, and I, I tend to look right now at education and how that's going to transform and how, you know, how are we going to interact in all these different ways that were so well established for so long? Now it's like everybody has a license to innovate, which is really exciting. Right. But just, I, I love your point about education. Just imagine that you would have the Peloton model in education, that you can choose your own math teacher based on your skills and <laughs> the kind of personality that you like. And then you have the leaderboard to see how you are performing. You gamify it. You have the personalization. Imagine what that could do to the motivation of, of students. I think mm -hmm. that could be amazing. Mm-hmm. For sure. A hundred percent. You know what's important, Jeannie? What? Smarter experiences. So true. So true. And I think a lot of the smarter experiences that are out there that have the biggest impact, they're the personalized experience. It's being where customers want to be via any device, any channel, and really respecting the personalized journey of the customer. 100%. And, you know, one of the things is using data and using customer understanding to achieve that. And you know who does that really well? Our season sponsor, Alita. So please make sure to check out alita.com. That's alita.com slash CTCC and find out more about how they can help you create smarter customer experiences.
And, and it's, you know, it's interesting to think about, and I may, maybe getting a little off topic here, but tell me what you think, Stephen. Uh, you know, I think it's really hard to compete in these spaces too if you're not early. Like it is going to be hard. I mean, it's going to be have to be a massive company with major resources to try to eat into what Peloton's done. Because you create this ecosphere. I think one one of the interesting things I don't think we've been talking about a lot with digital transformation is how much it uh, gives back some first mover advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, look at Netflix. I mean, they were the first ones and, and they're still the market leader. And now, okay, Disney Plus is moving in and they're investing billions as well. But on the other hand, companies like, and they're doing a good job, but like companies like Amazon are in that space, Apple are in that space, but they don't even come close to Netflix. And those are multi-billion dollar companies. So the first mover advantage is, is huge. Although I, I've seen an interesting case study uh, here in Europe, in the Nordics, there's a company called Egmont, and they are one of the oldest content producers in Europe and, and different kinds of content. They make these TV shows, these crime series from the Nordics that many people like, but also magazines and newspapers, all kind of content. And I met their CEO two years ago, and he, he told me, he said, you know, we're, we're, we're so tired of being in a headwind market. You know, everything that we do is tough. We work hard and we never have a, a full success experience. So he said, I, I want to go in tailwind markets. And I, since then, I've been using that concept. I love the idea of being in a tailwind market. And he said, look, tailwind markets in our industry could be e-commerce, uh, could be gaming. But I said to him, okay, that's, that's true. Those are huge markets, but you have gaming studios. You have Amazon and e-commerce. What are you going to do? And he said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go into e-commerce, but in those niche areas where we have strengths. So we have content around cooking. We have content around um, uh, young parents, you know, different areas. And we're going to create e-commerce that is linked to our content. That's one thing we're going to do. Another thing we're going to do is we're going to go into gaming but we don't want to build the next Fortnite because you have Epic Games and, and these guys are much stronger in that than us. But what we're going to do is we're going to make games for an unserved audience, gamers that are 40 plus. And there's an advantage to the 40 plus gamer. That is someone who is more loyal to a game than an average teenager. Plus the in-game money that they spent is also higher than that of the average teenager. And I talked to him again in, in September, so two years after that, and he said, Stephen, we are so happy that we moved in those markets two years ago that we gained experience. This has been a, a major growth area for them. And that, that shows that if you use your existing strengths and you can leverage them in a smart way to these new business models, that there is a chance to make a difference. Um, yeah. oh, but, wow. but challenging the market leader and the global leader is, is, of course, extremely difficult. But maybe in niche applications, there, there are opportunities for other players to add value to the customer. Mm -hmm. I love, yeah, I love that because it's, you know, when you were mentioning Disney Plus, I was like, yeah, I mean, Disney is one of the you know, two or three companies that could actually try to play yeah. because they've got a hundred year brand and content right. that, you know, the greatest content on earth, so to speak, you know, and some, and, but to your point, so if you're not Disney, what do you do? How do you play? And yeah. I love, I love that example. Yeah, it's a brilliant company and more than 100 years old, but constantly reinventing itself and very happy customers because of that. Fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this digital transformation, because one of the things you talk about is becoming a friction hunter. So uh, tell us what you mean by that generally. 
but then also from through the lens of this uh, digital transformation that has accelerated in the past. You know, All right. All right. I, I love to play with the concept of, of friction hunting with, with clients. Uh, and it's, it started from the insight that many senior leaders don't follow the client's process when they use their own services. It's like the typical <laughs> example that if a CEO of a bank loses his credit card, does he follow the process of the customer <laughs> or does he call someone and say, I need a new credit card? And mm -hmm. Usually it's scenario B that they follow. So they don't have a clue how the customer's experience is when they get a new credit card. And it's from that insight that I said, okay, more and more you know, everyone in an organization should become a friction hunter. And a friction hunter means go through the experience of the client and look for details that are, you know, wasting the customer's time or making it difficult for customers and write them down. And the smaller, the better. And especially, Adam, to, to answer the question um, in terms of, of digital, I mean, there are so many companies that don't even try out their own website on their mobile phone, which is crazy. They just check it on, on a desktop because they paid an agency and they look at it on a, at a desktop and they think, oh, it looks great. And they forget to check it on their own phone mm -hmm. and, and they don't see the, the crazy mistakes or the difficulties that people go through when they want to buy something. So looking for details is, is, is important and a friction hunter doesn't report, oh, our e-commerce should be better. No, an e a friction hunter really defines the smallest detail possible that could be improved. And the advantage of those details, those small frictions, is that it's very easy to put a name next to them so that you have someone who's responsible to fix it. And they also have the advantage that the smaller they are, the easier they are to fix. So you can add the commitment that the friction should be removed in two or four weeks. And then if you play this game with small groups in the organization and you start to improve and fix all these small details, two things happen. On the one hand, customers will feel the difference. They don't really understand what you did differently, but they will feel like, hey, you guys are doing something better than before. I don't know what, but I like it. That's going to be the positive energy from the external people. But it will have a huge impact on the internal part of the business as well. Uh, many employees, many people in your team will start to feel that things are improving and that you're making progress. I've met so many teams that want to change and improve the customer experience with the best intentions, but then they have these three strategic pillars and then they have these huge product projects underneath them and it takes nine months to finish the first project. Well, most of the team members are already frustrated after two months that they're working hard and nothing happens. With the friction hunter idea, you avoid that and you create internal energy and a feeling like, yes, we're making a difference here. And, you know, it's very simple, very pragmatic, but it works really, really well if you execute it like this in an organization. I, I love that because it's so practical and it involves everybody, which I think sometimes we overlook in customer experience too. Um, sure. Because most, most like huge issues that I've seen in organizations that kind of got through the system, it's because they didn't include the people who know the experience the best or the people who, you know, would actually be the ones who are looking at the site on their phone and things like that, just like you talked about. So that's a, a really great point. And so next time your agency comes in with that big screen and they show you how everything works, <laughs> just pull out your phone and look at it there. Uh, I think that's, I love the term friction hunter too. And 
So, so Stephen, we're we're doing something a little different to okay. end these episodes for the season, and that's because we talk about these great big ideas and great big, you know, things to do, and w- people walk away and they tell us they get so much value out of our guests. Cool. But we want to know if you had to summarize, if you had to think about a phrase or a piece of advice that you could put on a bumper sticker about customer experience, mm-hmm. what would that be? What would joy do? That's Ooh. and do you want to hear the story behind that? Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a huge Disney fan. Um, I like almost everything from Disney, but one of my favorite films is Inside Out. Do you know that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, yeah. And uh, I think it's it's mandatory for every CX professional to watch that film mm-hmm. because if you dive into it, you will see that you know you know how it goes, right? We have five emotions in our head, and four of them are negative. Mm-hmm. We have anger, we have disgust, we have fear, and we have sadness. There's only one positive one, and that is joy. And I use this in, in presentations, and I made many videos about it, because in many discussions in organizations, in companies, when it's about customers, the four negative emotions take, take control of, over the meeting. People are afraid, people are sad, people don't like their customer anymore, and because of that, they take the wrong decisions. And I would invite everyone to ask yourself, what would joy do? How would joy solve this? And I'm convinced the more decisions that joy can take in your organization, <laughs> the better your customer experience points will be. Boy, I have a huge smile on my face. That's fantastic. <laughs> I do too, and I don't even know what movie you're talking about. You <laughs> need to watch that one, Adam. Really, yes, it's you important. do. It's important for your for your career. That for my growth, my CX growth. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Well, hey, Stephen, thank you so much. This has been great. I love the insights. Love the new book, The Offer You Can't Refuse. Uh, Please tell our audience uh, where they can find you, find the book, all that great stuff. All right. Well, it it would be fantastic if people join me on my social channels. I share a lot of content on YouTube, share a lot of content on Instagram. And if they want to get my book, they can go to my website or uh, Amazon, of course. So, um, yeah, it would be great if I could meet some of your listeners online. And who knows? in the future in real life again. I, I can't wait for that. I think we, we're all there. But thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. And we're just thrilled that you could make it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jeannie. Thanks, Adam. Uh, thanks. Take care. Well, I love the idea of joy. What a fun way to wrap that up. That's awesome. I even looked up the reference. <laughs> so... <laughs> No, but you know, I, I don't need to have seen the movie. Apparently, it would help. I would get the point better. But I like, yeah, I, I get the idea, and I, I like that. You know, it's a lens of positivity, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, my my motto. I think I've got the posters in my office, and thing is, how can I? Right. right. It's, it's a reframing technique. It's what what lens, what perspective are we going to use when we're confronted with problems? Mm-hmm. And so I love that idea. Well, Adam, I think you should watch Inside Out the movie, not just for CX, but also just in case you're curious about what it was like to be a preteen girl. (laughs) (laughs) Because they really did do a great job with that. So I thought that, you know, you you can learn that too. Jeannie, that's always been something I've known has been missing from my life is (laughs) understanding the perspective of what it is like to be a preteen girl. So I will absolutely check out that movie, (laughs) not for any customer experience lessons or because it's a good movie, but for that specific reason. Well, you will enjoy it and learn about learn about customer experience at the same time. So really, 
it, it's just a win all around. It's a win all around. Well, you know, I mean, they, they don't do bad movies, right? They do okay movies sometimes, but they don't really do bad movies. Yeah, do I agree. I agree. And, you know, if you take one thing away, go watch Inside Out. Have a great time. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, I was going to say, if you take one thing away, buy Steven's book, The Offer You Can't Refuse. Yes. But watch the movie as well. Yes, for sure. For sure. <laughs> So, well, that was really fun, and we are always so grateful that you're here with us. Thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. Crack the Customer Code is a proud member of C-Suite Radio, so be sure to check out all the great business content at csuiteradio.com and csuitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters. You can learn about me at experienceinvestigators.com and join our Year of CX program at yearofcx.com. And I'm Adam DePorky. You can learn more about our customer service training, our virtual training, and my book, Be Your Customer's Hero at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.